It's wonderful. I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. And we're going to continue with the rediscovery of the gospel, part 4. But we're going to pray. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for your heart, for your people. I thank you, Jesus, that it is completely finished. That there is nothing left to be done. Yeah. That you are sufficient, Jesus. And you've made us sufficient. I bless you, Lord. We thank you for your word. May it penetrate hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Mark 9 says this. I think it might come up behind me. Mark 9, 22, verse 24. says this. Jesus approaches the boy who's demonized. And he asks the father, how long has he been like this? And it says, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if... You can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I want to speak to us this morning. And for some of you, it may, you may feel condemned in it. And I hope you don't. If you do, change your ears to put on more hungry ears. And you'll see that it's actually life. But I want to speak about unbelief. And that's a very interesting issue to deal with. And it has been used many times to make many people feel guilty. And I don't like that at all. I'm just being real. I just really don't. It's just tragic. But it's been a cry in my heart for the last, I don't know, six months, is that, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, I grew up in the supernatural. I grew up seeing things and, and experiencing God, encountering God for many years. And yet there remains in the human heart just something to do with unbelief. And it's just been my heart because I, I know that where we're headed as a church, but also even as in the region, what God's doing even in the nation, is that the miraculous needs to come back. Paul said, I have not fully preached the gospel unless there's signs and wonders. And then he explained that in Romans 15. And it's just my heart. I don't chase miracles. I, I pursue him. But I believe with all my heart that the greatest way to bring honor to him is to demonstrate victory, not suffer defeat. It's noble to, to walk through a very difficult situation with good character and a good heart. They did that here, absolutely in the New Testament, and it will continue to happen. But it brings him greater honor to reveal victory, because he paid for that, and it cost him everything. Amen? So we're going to speak about that this morning. Help my unbelief. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I did a, <clears throat> a search on YouTube, human belief, and this is what comes up. None of these were Christian because the world understands the power of belief, human belief. This is what came up, the psychology of belief and explained how you can gain a business and all sorts of things through changing the way you think. Uh, the power of belief, and the guy said, the hero in you. Unsaved guy. The power of belief, mindset and success, the secret of knowledge of believing. These are all secular people. But yet it was God's idea. Belief, partnership with human belief was actually God's idea, not man's. And we see it best expressed in, in the verse that we all know about salvation in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth in the, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so what we've done is we've made it all about confession. Just confess, confess, confess. 
faith or belief, human belief, is released, it needs vehicles. And it's going to either be words or actions. That's it. Words or actions. It will release what's inside. So when it says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the confession is releasing the power of what you genuinely believe inside your heart now. Because God has revealed something to you. And when you speak it, that's the vehicle through which that belief partners with what God does. And there is an incredible transformation that happens. There's a regeneration of a human heart. There's a weight that lifts you off your back. There's the, the change that happens inside of you. It changes the way you think. People say the countenance of a person changes when they get saved. Who's seen that? There's this supernatural transformation. The penalty of death over your life, taken. The void, the blank that we're all born with, filled. Because you said something. It's not just in the confession, friends. It's releasing what has happened in your heart. We have to understand that confession is powerful and words are powerful and we can deal with that another day. We all know that. But belief is the source of it. Human belief is extremely powerful. And it was God's idea. Amen? Not man's. So, it's interesting to me that as believers, we far easier believe in salvation than in the supernatural works of God. Even though that is one of the greatest ones. Because salvation cost him everything. And healing, he, he, it was easy. Healing, signs and wonders, that was kind of a very basic understanding. He says, there was so little faith that I could only heal some people. But yet he went to God, his Father, and said, please, if there's another way, don't make me go to the cross. And that was for salvation, because he had to deal with death to offer salvation. And the Western church has no issue with salvation, but signs and wonders and the miraculous, we have an issue. That was easy. That was more difficult. Why is that? <laughs> because there's something of a partnership of faith with the Lord. And unfortunately, I've seen that be used to damage people and hurt people. There was a gentleman that I know, he's a friend of mine whose wife passed away and the church came to him and said it's your fault, no faith. Unbelievable. I was so angry when I heard that. Really angry. <laughs> and so because of that people have backed away. And yet he's made a payment. So I don't know if I have the time for all of this but I, when I started the series, I talked a little bit about the law and the marriage or the, the, the partnership or the, the, the relationship, let me put it that way, between the law and the gospel. It's very important to understand because it's the number one hindrance. The law is good and holy and righteous, but Jesus fulfilled it. So we can explain. So I went over three different types of law. There's moral law. That is the law that everybody is born with. The sense of right and wrong. The sense of every person, saved, unsaved. And they believe right and wrong until society teaches them what that right and wrong is. I've said it before, if you're born in a society where they genuinely believe that murder is okay, you will one day believe that apart from the Lord. Society starts to dictate moral law, but you're born with a sense of moral law. And then there's the law of sin, which in Romans 7, I think the scripture's up behind me, Romans 7 is actually talks about the, the inherent sin nature that you're born with because of Adam. The Bible just calls it the law of sin. And it's through sin. What came through sin? Death. Death entered through sin. So that's the law of sin and death. And then you get the Mosaic law, which 
Some commentators, it's a very simplistic way, but some commentators say it's the moral law written down. It's a lot more than that. And obviously, there's stuff with Israel and the food and all of that. But the moral sense, it's the righteous requirement of God to have fellowship with him. That's what it is. And it's extremely high because it has to match his righteousness. Hello? Yeah. That was the Mosaic law. Very, very important to understand. And the law came to do many things, which I won't get into. Reveal sin, magnify sin, reveal their need for Jesus. All things that the Bible says that this is why the law came. But it had to come. It had to come to reveal God's requirement, God's standard, God's righteousness, and to reveal to mankind that they cannot meet that in and of themselves. So they changed it and made it easier to not need Christ. And that's why the Lord was not so happy with the Pharisees. Does that make sense? It says in Romans 3, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. That's what it does. It makes us aware of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, they were looking to it, even the righteousness of God. So it matches his righteousness. Because it's the righteousness of God in Christ. Through faith, through belief, through faith in Christ Jesus to all and on all who believe. So, what the law couldn't do, Christ, because he fulfilled the law, you can do through belief in Christ. Very, very important to understand that marriage and that understanding. Now, we stopped there last time and we went how we need the Lord and he died for us and we explained that. But there's a fourth law that I never really went into. That was the goal, but I just ran out of time. But it was still a good message, so you can go listen to it. But there's a fourth law, and that's the law in Romans 8.2. It says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is making me, oh wait, doesn't say that, has made, past tense, it's, it's important word, has made me free from the law of sin and death. That is not a list of requirements and rules and laws like, like moral law or well, moral law is more in your heart. It's not. It, what it actually means is this, is the best way I can explain it, is that in the, what I call the parent realm, the Bible says before the natural world, everything that you see was made by that which is unseen. The seen is temporary, the unseen is eternal. Yeah? In that invisible realm, in that spiritual realm, the realm that will always be, the realm where Christ came from, in that realm there has been a law that is now established. That the work of Christ supersedes every other thing. Every law that was written, everything that was ever done, that law is now written there, as much as this is written here. And Jesus came from there, and he knew that. Even though he hadn't done it, he was operating as if on the earth. So faith or belief actually operates by authority. It understands what's happened there and that law is the highest order it's in the courts of heaven it stands that's and that's it there's no bad that's it it stands that the law of the life of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death it is an established truth it is an established law it's not a law like this and do this and do this no it means it's a law it's written and so that we have to understand that that's what makes us free we also have to understand that the works of the enemy are therefore illegal they break in the law 
And God looks for people who understand that authority to come along and say, do you know you're not allowed to do this, devil? And he gets away with a whole bunch of stuff because God's people don't know. It's an authority issue. It's not, can I say, an anointing issue or a feeling issue. That, those are powerful and those are helpful. It's an authority issue. There is a law. And it's written over your life. Now, John chapter 9, by the grace of God and further signs and wonders, we're going to read this whole chapter today. John chapter 9 is about a man that was born blind. I look at it as the chapter that reveals the depth of unbelief in a religious culture, which we are in. It reveals the depth of unbelief, and the root of the problem is this, John 9, 28. says, they reviled him. This is the Pharisees now talking to the blind man who got healed. You'll see it later. You are his, disi- uh, you are his disciple. This is what the Pharisees said to this man, because he was kind of, in a sense, mocking them a little bit. It was actually quite funny when we get there. He says, you are his disciple, talking about Jesus. We know that God spoke to Moses. This is the Pharisees. As for this fellow, he says, we are Moses' disciples. That's the problem. They reviled him and you are his disciple, talking about Jesus, but we, Pharisees speaking, we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, speaking about Jesus, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. That's the root of the problem right there. Who do people say that I am? We went over it last week. They didn't understand. They didn't know. And that reveals a major, major issue in the the foundation, if I could go down, of unbelief is thinking that is trapped in old mindsets and old systems and old truth. Something that God did with power. But they were trapped there. And they couldn't see what God was doing. Everything that that was pointing to, they missed because they became so in love with what God did. That is the root, often, of unbelief. And so John chapter 9, we're going to go read it, and we're just going to look at a few points. It reveals, friends, it's incredible. There's a spiritual element and a physical element, but it reveals the depth of why we struggle. You with me? Should we go read the Bible? John 9, verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming. That night, and you can go look it up, that night is just talking about his death and when he's in the grave. He said, The night is coming when no one can work talking about the miraculous. As low as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He then tells them, you are the light of the world. So what he's saying, well, I'm in the world, the light of the world is me. But I'm going to leave. Then the light of the world is you. Yeah? Very simple. Okay. When, verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes, that gives you an understanding of anointing, just means smear. People get super spiritual about it, just means to smear. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And there's cool things we could get into that about. But the pool of Siloam came from the spring of Gihon under King Hezekiah. And it means 
that which comes from the virgin's fountain well that's interesting the river that came into Jerusalem that was underground that would never run dry even when they were under siege who do you think that's talking about Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that came from the virgin's fountain so anyway that's for free so what happened is very very interesting is they revealed the place from which they were thinking we have to understand that in the Old Testament it was all about acts and rituals but he said no it's now it's here it's the mind that's why there's such power in a renewed mind and change the way you think you've heard me say stinking thinking it's really what it is and they reveal it with this one sentence who sinned this man or his parents oh boy Jesus is like neither guys mm -mm. Mm -mm. why they're taking it from the law that the sins of the father to the son to the this to the that and there's still religious cultures even supernatural cultures that are so fascinated with generational issues that they don't understand victory in Jesus Christ who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind why was he born blind and they go they, they rooted around what issue sin instead of life they were thinking from a place of sin instead of from a place of life everything was like that the Bible calls it sin conscious which you'll read in a moment everything for them was like that even the experience of the supernatural presence of God in the most holy place they went in there once a year for what deal with sin so even the experience of God was all centered around sin Jewish tradition says they tied a rope although there's no evidence of this just so you know there's none not in the Talmud and the Mishnah I can't find it anywhere but they would tie a rope around his leg that if he had done something wrong dead and then they would drag him out we don't know if that's true but that's what Jewish tradition says but they were so terrified to go into God's presence and it was all centered around sin thinking about sin what I shouldn't do how I shouldn't live what I have done and how bad all of that even God's presence was centered around sin so we're going to go through the first we're going to go through four chapters of Hebrews in one second I'm just going to tell you what it's about Hebrews 9 starts with and indeed the first covenant had ordinances of divine service from the earthly sanctuary what is that saying yes there was divine service but it was an earthly sanctuary and the whole of Hebrews 9 is really I know it's not only this but largely the limitations that could not give access to all people to God's presence on the earthly limitations of it and that's why it says but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come of a greater and more perfect table not made with human hands that is not of this creation because he's dealing the book of Hebrews is dealing with people with religious people Hebrews that were struggling to see Christ with belief Hebrews 10 says the need it basically is about the need and sufficiency of Christ's death that Christ had to die and it had to be Christ for God's will to be satisfied and it even says there you can read the last verse of Hebrews 10 verse 1 to 2 actually let's just read it for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect and whole or whole in a sense doesn't mean perfect for then they would not have se would that not have ceased to be offered if it actually worked would it not have ceased to be offered for then the worshipers once purified would have no more consciousness and awareness of sin you see that that's the Bible okay 
Then it explains that, that they would then have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus through a new living way, it says. So Hebrews 9 is saying this is not sufficient. Hebrews 10 says only Jesus is sufficient. Hebrews 11 is the way of faith. Talks about faith. And a lot of people look to Hebrews 11 to learn faith, and that's very good. But in the context, friends, yes, it's about faith, but it's showing you faith under different covenants. The faith at the dawn of creation, the faith of, of Noah, the faith of Abraham and the patriarchs, the faith of Moses under the law. And then it says, but then Hebrews 12 says, this is what New Testament faith looks like. Interesting. And it says this, therefore we also, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, these heroes of faith, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. How? And let us run with endurance. How? Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Christ. The author and perfecter of our faith. What is that saying? You have to move from sin consciousness where even the experience of God is all built around what I should not do. They were waking up not to sin. They were waking up with a cycle of guilt. Who's lived like that? I have. It sucks. I'm just being real. It's not fun. Waking up, I mustn't do this, I mustn't do this. That's sin conscious. And it says it was, even though there was divine and presence and shining and all those things, it couldn't even change the high priest who came into the most holy place. It couldn't even change his heart. Not one person. So it was insufficient. And they say, but New Testament way, look at Christ, look unto Christ, and when you look at him, it means be fixated on him. Focus on him. Not on yourself. Not on what you have done or couldn't do or shouldn't do. Don't focus there. Focus on him. And when you focus on him, faith begins to rise in your heart. That is the New Testament way. So now you understand the four chapters of Hebrews. You guys are amazing. It's really true. That's what it means. It's saying there's a law that supersedes every other law. And it's written in the spirit realm. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So I know that's a lot. But that is all what Jesus was dealing with. Everything they looked at with his disciples, he's training them. No, guys. It's not like that. Even in Ezekiel's day, there was a proverb in the day. Ezekiel and Jeremiah said the same words. God speaking said, you shall no longer say that the grapes, the sour grapes in the mouth of the fathers puts the children's teeth on edge. Saying, stop saying, I'm like this because of my parents. That was in Ezekiel's day. God said, stop saying that. So focused on sin. Interesting. Then there's a battle of unbelief. The battle of unbelief or the battle of belief. Go back to John 9, verse 8. This is in the hearts of people, in the hearts of all of us. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. Which is crazy. Okay. And he said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed. And I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. Friends, 
in the battle of our belief, there's certain signs that we can realize that we're working through it ourselves. And we see this in, in our hearts. First thing you see is they focus on the person's past. No one said, oh, you see. Is it, aren't you the beggar? That's not helpful. Focus on the person's past. Hmm. Relating to him as who he was, not who he is. That's a heart of unbelief. Believes the fantastic. The word fantastic is the best word I could come up with. Above the supernatural. They'd been around this man all his life. They said, no, this is like a twin now. They believe that before they believe God healed him. They've been, what, have you been hiding him? I mean, think about it. It's nuts. Friends, I've discovered the world and the church, are, that it's easier for them to believe the mythical than the supernatural. Well, you know, that's, I don't understand, but that's just how things work. Really? You are actually the ones on the earth who knows how this should work. God's power is completely foreign. So they cannot fathom it. How were your eyes opened? We said it last week when it says their eyes were opened. It says how? Like it's so foreign to the church. How did this happen? Explain it to me. Because it's been so long since the power of God has been normal. I love his answer. A man called Jesus. That's all I know. I know Jesus. Then what starts to happen? There's a demand for an explanation. Where is he? Prove it. You know that? Prove it. I've had that. When I say some of the stuff God's done with me or what I've seen God do with others. Really? Show me proof. I can't. I just know I'm different. He said, I don't know where he is, but I can see. I mean, he can see. Think about it. He can see. And they're like, hmm, where is he? like I can see you it's kind of a big deal alright let's go to verse 13 but this is a tragic part for me because I'm talking to leaders now and that includes parents leaders of this church leaders of other churches leaders of any form it says they brought him verse 13 they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, verse 15, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. I found that so funny. Because the first time he gives this long explanation. They keep asking him. It's like he put clay on my eyes, I washed and I see. It's just like, leave me alone. The answers get shorter and shorter. And then he says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Talking about Jesus Christ. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. The first thing you see when there's unbelief in a leader's heart is false discernment. False discernment. This man is not from God. Jesus literally was from God. That's what begins to happen. When you have leaders who are so trapped in an old system, in an old structure of what God did even a hundred years ago, they begin to preach and declare things with false discernment, and it's the opposite of the truth. 
It's very scary. So who wants to be a leader? Because why? Friends, they have, a, they have a major dilemma. Jesus broke the Jewish law in doing what he did. Huh. So they have an issue now. Because if they say this is from God, what it will reveal is that their entire life and focus, they will reveal them for who they are. Hypocritical, religious, empty. So they have to say, no, 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 uh, um, mm -mm, no, he's not, no, not him. It's self-preservation at the cost of truth and freedom. Preserve our ways. This is our truth. And I protect it. It's my, my truth. No, our truth is better than the church on the road. We really know. Very scary. Division. I think it was probably between the people and the leaders. Because, friends... Sometimes, and I'm saying this because I am one, leaders get stuck easily because they're held responsible. People are like, but he sees. So I'm going to go with that guy. They're not foolish. Hello? Division. When what God is doing now starts to invade what God did, it will bring division. God did this. God's power brought division. It still does today still does because there's a process of extreme uncomfortableness if that's a word that has to take place to break what we think we know is he God or is he not then you see let's go to verse 17 then they said to the blind man what do you say about him because he opened your eyes this poor man all he ever did was get healed Think about it. Friends, I've seen people like this. They get healed in the service and they leave and they phone me. I've had my whole families jumping at me. Not once. I've had that many times. Please can you help them? Please can you speak to them? He said, here's a prophet. Shorter answer. He's a prophet. Just get shorter and shorter. And he said, but, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. And they called the parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then now does he see? The first thing, again, with leaders, I'm not hammering leaders, friend, I am one. It's an incredible thing, privilege to lead, and it, 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 it costs, and it's God's call and all of that. But we have to also, as parents, as leaders, understand that he reigns supreme, and we adjust, we adjust, we adjust. Damaging early growth, destroying this fragile, this new man, by coming at him, demanding answers when he doesn't know. It destroys this little seed. It's like, you don't know, we know. We know better than you. But you don't know, we know. So therefore, you're wrong and we're right. And it just destroys him. It's tragic, really. I've just seen it happen. It's tragic. Consistent attempts to find proof. To find a practical answer for the supernatural. Well, let's get practical here. Um, let's just get practical, guys, because I don't understand how this works. Yeah, maybe that's the point. It's consistent attempts. I need to understand. Give me, I need, I need to find an answer to this. And then it says they did not believe his testimony. Friends, I, be honest with you, I've often found this in my own heart. 
I really have. When I hear people say stuff, and I've found in my own heart there's something that says, really, Lord? Them? It's religious pride. It's what it is. <laughs> because we know them. And we think, God, really? Them? The Lord says, yes, son. Them. <laughs> they didn't believe him. Yet he can see it's nuts. I have often found it in my heart. And that's where I started to just cry to God. Heal my unbelief. Because that takes humility. Heal my unbelief, God. I know there's flesh. I know there's excess. I know people do it for tension. I know all that stuff exists. But God, heal my unbelief. That word uh, help means heal or cure or aid. Help it. Let me see like you see. What fruit is produced? We'll go through this. You guys still good? Please, I'm asking you. Don't run at people you know that you think, well, that's this. Don't listen to it for other people. Please, I implore you for yourself. What fruit is produced when that's happening in the leadership? Well, it starts with parents. His parents answered and said to them, We know that this is our son and he was born blind, but by the means of what he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, and he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. The fruit of unbelief and leadership produces hirelings, not shepherds. The Bible says that in the very next chapter. He flees from the sheep because he is a hireling. Meaning he's hired, he's, there's no ownership here. Throwing the future generation of spiritual sons under the bus because we don't understand them to protect what we have. Friends, it's, it looks good, but it's from a rotten heart or from a fearful heart or I don't know what to do destroying destiny because we don't want to lose something <laughs> I, I'm not putting anything on people I've seen it happen we need shepherds who won't run when there's a cost we need shepherds the next very dangerous, very dangerous. Some of you have experienced this. They called again the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, Jesus, we know this man is a sinner. They were wrong. And the response, this is where it starts to get to, is now the control. They want to control your response to the supernatural. This is how you must now see it. It's the controlled response. Because there's now no other way. Hello? Who knows what I'm talking about? Put your hand up. I want to see. Yeah. Friends, can I say, I've done this probably at times. The Lord has to deal with us, has to speak to us. First time I ever led a meeting, God, power showed up. I didn't know what was happening, to be honest. But God was moving. I was 21. 
and they came to me and said, no, I'll ever do that again. It's not a bad heart sometimes. They just don't know. And they said, what did he do? How did he do it? It says that. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I love this verse. Talking of this man, blind man. Whether he is a sinner, speaking of Jesus or not, I do not know. One thing I know. It's like, guys, get this. I was blind and now I see. It's an amazing verse. It's where the Amazing Grace song was written from. I was blind, but now I see. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them and said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? That's incredibly smart. I love it. He's actually picking up that now they're saying, okay, well, uh, how did he do this? Because now if they can do it, it actually proves their point that he's, you know. And that's what starts to happen. Let's look for methods instead of relationship. How did he do this? Tell me so I can do it. Like the sons of Sceva. Same thing. Trying to cast out like the, but they didn't carry the spirit that Paul carried. So he says, really? You want to be his disciples? And they're like, no, 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 no. That's not, mm -mm, didn't mean that. But that's exactly what they meant. And it says, uh, he answered them and he said, I told you already, verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We read this in the beginning. But we are Moses' disciple. The root of the problem right there. We're stuck in an old system. And because we're stuck in the old system, we cannot see what God is doing now. We know that God spoke to Moses. I love this verse. But as for this fellow, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, we don't know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing. This man is smart. I want to meet him in heaven and say, Explain to me how he did this. He's smart. This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if, and that was Old Testament thinking too. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And since the beginning, and I researched this, I can't find an example where it's happened in any religion, in any biblical story, in any Jewish history. It says, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Missed opportunities. There was an opportunity. That's what also happens. Missed opportunity. There was an opportunity for them to turn right there. When they asked, how did he do this? And they missed it. They missed it. And the last one, it says, they cast him out. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. I literally wrote in my Bible, ha ha. <laughs> Why? Because they were all born in sin. Yeah. But you're more than us because you were born blind. Rooted in an Old Testament system. You were completely born in sin. And you are teaching us. No, but he's trying. And they cast him out. That's what ends up with. You cast out those who carry a supernatural testimony. Because you cannot deal with them. <laughs> and that was a severe punishment, which I won't get into. But you were not allowed within six feet of people. You were not allowed to conduct business. You were not allowed to partake in worship, in sacrificial atonement, in community giving, the community finance that came from the temple. 
you were cut off. You weren't even allowed within six feet of another human being. They sentenced him to the very thing that he, because that's what a beggar had to, they sentenced him back to the very thing Jesus had set him free from. Because they couldn't believe in the supernaturalness of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus heard and went looking. Actually, I have to read it to you. I have to. It's really good. It's good news. The gospel is good news, friends. It says here in John 9, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Recognition of who Jesus is, friends, releases faith and worship. Faith for the supernatural. Faith. Genuine faith. I believe. I can believe. And it's so simple. So simple. Jesus reveals himself to this man. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. 